The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out around nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again, around noon and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing around here doing nothing at all? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had worked, we worked the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to one of them, friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm the leadership pastor here. I'm excited to be talking to you today about this topic. We've been going through the subject of divine justice. Um, and today's topic is on fairness, which is very exciting to me because I have two young children. And fairness comes up a lot. Before we get started, I'd like to pray with you all. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to learn uh, from your word, for the opportunity to grow in your spirit. May you be present with us this morning. May we be aware of that presence. May we be listening for you so that at the end of this time, we will know you more and love you more. Amen. In the simplest forms, fairness develops really young. Uh, some studies go back as young as eight months old when babies will stare at amounts of, of gifts, candy in particular, or something sweet that have been given out, and wonder, that, well, they'll stare when it's uneven. And when it's spread out, they let it go. By the time they're a couple years old, they will divide up the candy among a group of peers and throw out any that are extra. If someone comes into the room and divides it up to them, 
and gives them more, they're fine. But if they give them less, they're mad. Fairness is very simply woven in to who we are. Yet it is also modified and more detailed than that. See, as the kids get older, once there's a task to be done, if you, get the, if you tell all the kids to do the task and someone doesn't do it and you give them the same amount, oh, they get mad. They get very, very mad. Not the kid who got the one who got the amount that they didn't earn, but the rest of them get very, very mad. Uh, this is modified by culture, though. So fairness is universal, kind of. Kind of universal. What I mean is that uh, when experimenters took a group of adults, they brought them together and they gave them $100 in pairs. So they gave someone $100 and they said, hey, here's the deal. You can give whatever you want to the, next, to the person next to you, okay? Whatever you want of this $100. And if they accept it, you get to keep it. If they don't accept what you gave, everyone get, both of you get zero, all right? So when they got the Americans together, they, they constantly were giving away 50 of the, of the 100. They would say, okay, you get 50, I get 50, and then they're both happy. But some of the Americans wouldn't. Some of them would say, okay, you get 30, I get 70. And then they would try to convince them, look, you get 30 or nothing. I'm in charge here. You get 30 or nothing. And you know what usually happened? They got nothing. Almost every single time, the Americans said, no dice. I'll take nothing rather than unfairness in this scenario. Okay? This has also been shown when, when dealing with, uh, with, uh, with businesses, with work. Okay? When dealing with work, they, this has been shown in multiple studies now. It's actually a place where they're continually doing studies on it because they find it so fascinating, it turns out. Um, when they get people who do the same job for the same amount of time, right? so they get some equality in the work that's being done, and then they say, hey, here's the deal. We're going to take this person and give them a lot more money and you're going to get a raise too. You're going to do the same job. You're going, to get, you're going to do the same amount of work, create the same thing, but we're going to pay them more. You're going to get a raise too, but they're going to get a lot more. Or no one gets anything. Universally, nothing. Unless you go to Japan. Because the same study done in Japan said universally nothing when we are the same age. But if that person's older than me, go ahead. I got a raise, and they deserved it more because they're older, so they can have it. Now, what is universal through all of that, though, is that at the end of the day, if you break the rules of fairness for the people in the room, everyone gets upset about it. Well, unless you're the selfish, per selfish person trying to take the 70 of the $100, right? But people get upset when you break fairness. Fairness is universal. The details of fairness, what that means, are often not so universal. We have no unifying ideas of fairness. It feels that way because they are an undercurrent in our cultures. So it feels like there must be a universal idea of fairness, but it's not true. Fairness is universal. The ideas of what is fairness is not. Humans innately want fairness, but disagree on what that means. So there's a reason why babies, or at least young children, when they've done nothing to get the candy, feel like they should get the same amount as everyone else. Once they start feeling like they earned it, they disagree. 
Now, the reason we talk about uh, this issue of fairness uh, is not just for the philosophy, to be honest. When I first wrote this sermon, the, the philosophical points that were going to come out of this were much longer um, when it came to fairness. And if you want to talk about them more, come to Double Take and we can talk about the philosophy of fairness. But I've trimmed it back because the idea of fairness is a conversation of justice, not fairness. What I mean is, is that when we are using the word justice, we are actually having conversations about fairness. Justice is rooted in fairness. Now, justice itself is a loaded word, right? It is, especially right now, it is a loaded word. Now more than ever, when you say justice, and when you say justice, you mean different things. You might sometimes think you mean the same thing, but you definitely can mean different things. I have had conversations this week asking people online, anonymously. Great thing to do, by the way. Go online anonymously and have a conversation about justice. That's going to just make you really encouraged for humanity. Um, After I got over all the things people said about me when they didn't know me, um, I did learn a few things, and that is I was right. They disagree about justice a lot, loudly, and there are swear words I didn't know existed. But they do. The disagreement in this world on justice is massive, and it's easy to find. The moment you get more specific about what you mean about justice, the more likely someone stands up and says, that's not justice. And what they are saying, and what everyone says when they include the word justice, is that's not fair. It's not fair. We don't use that language as much. I would argue maybe it's because when we say that's not fair, we sound like we're eight. But that is what we mean. A situation that is occurring, whatever it may be, maybe it's with me, maybe it's with someone else, but whatever it is, it's not fair. And what we mean is like, this should be fixed. It's broken. There's a thing out there, or with me, though oftentimes when we talk about fairness and justice, we're talking about external fairness and justice. Again, we can talk about that a little in double take if you want to hang around. But what we're saying is that this is not fair. The things that are around us are not fair. And when we, when we, when what we're asking for when we're seeking justice, when we use that, is that we are seeking the administration of fairness. Justice, then, is the administration of fairness. It is, it is how we make fairness happen. We want justice. It means someone's going to administer fairness to the world. Now, we don't do this for all areas of fairness, right? We don't actually say we need justice for the amount of screen time that one child got over the other. That's not usually something we're fighting for in terms of justice, though maybe in your household that is. I see some parents waffling. But what we do bring it up, especially as we start to see more more unfairness in the world, And so while we don't always agree on which areas need justice, this is what we're asking from justice. Administrate fairness. We have developed many different theories on how to do this over time. Societies have always used some different range for how they do it. We've got uh, retributive justice, restorative justice, distributive justice, libertarian justice, procedural justice, and the list actually goes on and on. And on. And these are theories on how to enact justice in society. And different cultures rely on different ones more heavily, depending on how they understand 
fairness. And it is directly tied to our expectations and experiences around that fairness. This is why it's so culturally connected. Uh, This is how we have such a hard time understanding the Old Testament descriptions of justice. Sometimes it's easy. Some images of justice look like help this person whose life, who is experiencing something in their life that they did not create. Right? That one's fairly easy for most cultures to understand. Nothing happened to, they didn't make a choice here, and yet this thing is in their life. Help them. And most cultures can understand that looks like something like justice. But we don't always agree with if you were to harm someone else's eye, what's supposed to happen to yours? It goes out too. That is an image of justice because it's not fair, right? It is a goal to balance that. Now, part of the reason why we don't understand them, and I get it, is because Old Testament justice is tied both to their culture and to a divine call to become a society which is able to enact a form of justice that fit their community, that fit the society around them, and push them toward an image of God's kingdom. And also because we've had Jesus now, right? We can't quite understand it because while that was happening, we now have the experience of Christ coming and what we call the fullness of God's revelation has come, which means that the New Testament image of justice is entirely different. And I think too often we look at it and say, well, now we follow the New Testament image of justice, and that's why the Old Testament image of justice sometimes looks so complicated. Speaking of which, if you want to know more about the Old Testament images of justice, listen to the previous sermons, because I'm not going to review all of that. Megan did some of that already. So do your homework, and then you can listen to the rest of this one. But when we look at the New Testament, we say, okay, we've got a New Testament image of justice, and that's why the Old Testament can seem sort of out of place. But I'm going to argue with you today if that's where you're at, because I'm pretty well convinced the New Testament image of justice is just as difficult for us and our cultural expectations of fairness. The New Testament image of justice is just as complicated It gives us a whole new understanding of justice and every image of justice that we've ever crafted in our world. Every image of justice that we've ever crafted in our world. I didn't say most image of justice. Every image of justice that we've ever crafted in our world is upended by Jesus' image of justice. Everyone. This is where you might disagree with me. And that's why you should join me for Double Take afterwards and we can talk about it. If you haven't noticed, I'm really excited about the conversation at Double Take. So every one of them. And Matthew is a great example of how this works out. This text in Matthew. So we're going to move right into that. What does it mean? What does it mean to say that uh, the entire justice image in our mind has been upended? Well, we get this story from Matthew that starts with the kingdom of heaven is like. Um... And Jesus likes this phrase, along with the kingdom of God. And he's using this to say there's a difference in what you think is happening in the world and what you expect and what God says and sees in the world. There's a difference. So I need you to understand it. So I'm going to give you stories to understand it. The reason why I would say he gives us stories to understand it is because we 
learn better that way, and also because there's no way we're going to fully understand it, and images give us something to keep latching on to when we are confused. The kingdom of God is like, and he produces an image which says, all throughout the, the stories of the Gospels, which says the kingdom of God is not like the things of this world. The kingdom of God is not like the expectations from your government. The kingdom of God is not like how you think you should be um, experiencing life in a day-to-day world because it is completely upside down. I say that because it would be easy to just go, okay, the kingdom of God is like this. Let's procreate legal systems like this. Let's create economic systems like this. But let's look at the story for a moment. In this story, Jesus says uh, someone who owns a vineyard gathers people together, brings them in to do the same work, and pays them differently for it at the end of the day. Right? This is a real problem for hourly employees. If you're getting paid by the hour, you're going to be real ticked when you work 12 and they worked one and they got the same amount. You look at their basket of what they've gathered in berries and you're like, what? Are you kidding me? Huh? Ha! Right? And that's what happens. This is not a a perfect legal system. In fact, right now, you can find lawsuits that are open right now for this very purpose. This is not a discussion on legal, and it's not a discussion as an economic system. If you thought this is a story about economics, let me explain to you what would happen the next day. Do I need to? Like, what do you think's going to happen? It turns out this guy will pay you 12 hours for one hour. Who's going to be there to work at six in the morning? Who's going to be there to work at five in the afternoon? It's not a story of economics, at least not as we could apply it. It's not a story of a legal system as we would apply it, but it is a story of the kingdom of God. The main characters in this would be the vineyard owner, that is Jesus or God, and the workers, and that is us, those who are following after Jesus. It is a call to follow after Jesus. And the main movements of the story are the frustration of the workers and the generosity of the vineyard owner. The main, the main image of the story is the frustration of the workers and the generosity of the vineyard owner. So the frustration of the workers is simple. They come up and they say, the phrase that we've all experienced, it isn't fair. It isn't fair. This goes against everything we think should happen, and it feels like a slap in the face to those people who've gone before. It feels like a direct assault on those people who have done the work all day. You don't have to take my word for it. If you were the person who worked all day in the field, just think about it one time. You went out into a field and gathered grapes. How many of you have either gathered grapes from a field or tied vines in a vineyard? Okay, a few of you have done this. I have. I did it once. I did it once. (laughs) I didn't have to do it again, so I did it once. Right? They work 12 hours. It's literally the image of backbreaking labor, of bent over doing this. By the time they get there, they're walking up like, whew, I earned that denarian today. And they get up there and they find out that the people around them who are like, I'm ready for more. Who's going for drinks after this? Are getting the same amount. They are justified in their frustration and anger. But how would you feel if you worked the half day? 
How would you feel if you worked the one hour? I know some of your personalities, and you might be the person saying, like, no, 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 you don't have to pay me that amount. Because you've got the pressure already from the people around you, and you know it's legitimate or illegitimate in the structure, you would think. You think it's unfair right now sitting here. They thought it was unfair, and we know that because of the way that people would respond around Jesus. This is known to be an unfair, unexpected, completely backward situation that everyone looks at and says, why would you do that? It's not fair. In fact, the text highlights that the people who, who, got, who got hired last got paid first. And it does so in some ways to highlight the image. First, I paid the people who worked the least this amount. And then I paid the people who worked a little more the same amount. And you can see the burning frustration grow in the people who did, worked all day. Right? They're at the back of the line saying, they got a, do you see they got a denarius? They got what we were supposed to get. Can you imagine what we're going to get? We're going to get 12 denarian. We're going to get, oh, this is going to be a good, this is a good day right now. Then the people who worked a half day come through and they're like, they, they got the same amount. What? Well, clearly the sweat on my body shows I get more. And then they get up there and finally realize the truth. The reality is, is that this image is exactly what you would expect in every situation in your life in which you thought something was unfair. And it brings up the same emotional discomfort that you would expect from Jesus because he likes to do this. His other stories are just as unfair, but we tend not to think about it as much, at least not as viscerally. Jesus tells a story of a prodigal son, that is, a son who took selfishly demanded the inheritance from his father, took his inheritance while his father was still alive, spent it, squandered it, came back to his father, and his father welcomes him home with lavish celebrations, with joy and excitement, and next to him is a brother who's continued to work for his father for years. And what does the brother say? It's not fair. And he's right it goes on with the story of the lost sheep where Jesus says a shepherd had all these sheep and one got lost, so he left the others behind to find the one. Sheep don't talk, but I bet they're buying. It's not fair. It goes along with the story that Jesus tells of the woman who has 10 coins and one goes missing. While she clutches the other nine, she spends the entire night searching for the other one. And when she gets it, she celebrates like she had nothing because she found one coin. Coins don't talk, but maybe they were jingling. It's not fair. Why do you care about that one coin? Why is this, that one sheep so important? I mean, the similarity in these stories is one thing. It is not fair. Why celebrate over one coin when you've already got nine? It's not going to make that much of a difference. Why praise the son who squandered your wealth while I worked day to, by day in front of you and showed you that I care? If you haven't caught on yet, Jesus is making one thing crystal clear. This is the entirety of the message that he seems to be pointing to when it comes to the image of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is unfair. 
The last go first. Those who strive to be on top will end up on bottom. Those who rely on their wisdom will be proven foolish. Those who rely on their strength will be shown to be weak. And yet, we probably still find ourselves frustrated by the unfairness of the kingdom if we try to put ourselves in that place. If we were in that place, we would cry out just like if we were eight and say, it's not fair, and we would be right. The kingdom of God is unfair. Thank God. Because the reality is that you only complain like that when you're the one who worked all day. You only complain like that when you're the one who's been there. The kingdom of God is unfair because we live in a broken world where nothing is fair. And so when we look at something of divine fairness that looks nothing like what we're used to, we can only call it unfair. By every standard we have, it is, and by every standard we have, it's better. Because someday, you're going to be the one who's late for work at the vineyard. Someday, you're going to be so preoccupied with the things going on around you, all the things that seem urgent today, all the things that look like they matter right now, but they won't in a year from now, that you will barely make it to the last call to get out to the vineyard just to grab a handful of grapes before the day is done, and you will bring them before Jesus, and he will smile and pay you in full. Because someday you will find that you are looking for greener pastures. And you won't notice that as you begin chewing that grass further away, you get lost. And you look up around and the shepherd who has always cared for you is gone because you look for something else. And you won't know how to come home, but you will hear God's voice and you will come back and you will be welcomed because the kingdom of God is unfair. Someday your circumstances, the circumstances around you will have changed and you will find that you have fallen away from where you know your life is supposed to be. You'll find yourself stuck in a space like a coin that is rolled away and is under a chair in the corner of a room. You can't get up. You can't move. You know that you're not supposed to be here, but you can't change. And the beauty of the kingdom of God is in all its unfairness, Jesus will be there with bruised knees crawling around the floor all night looking for you. And when he finds you, even though you can't move, he will scoop you up and bring you in and celebrate like you are the best thing he's ever seen. The kingdom of God is unfair. Thank God. Thank God. Because someday, maybe today, maybe in your past, maybe it's someone you know, someday you will need more than anything to know that God is defined by grace and the kingdom of God is grace. Someday you will know that the beauty of God's kingdom is the unfairness of God's kingdom. That you will learn that you don't have to bring all of the fruit that you can show that you were in the vineyard all day long because at the end of the day, it won't be enough fruit anyway. You will know that you will get the full payment because of what God is, not because of what you are. The kingdom of God is unfair. The kingdom of God is grace. 
Thank God. 